Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of In The Zone, episode 131. I'm Giancarlo Alino, and as always, co-hosting here with Chris Martelli and Anthony Pinello. As you can see on the YouTube video here, he's uh today. So, boys, we're going to start off with some NBA. But before that, Basketball Hall of Fame. We saw the latest inductees go over in the weekend. A lot of great names, coaches, uh, broadcasters, the NBA on TNT crew went in again. So those guys are now two-time Hall of Famers. And uh, we saw these headliners go in, Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan, and Kobe. Uh, start off with you, Pinello. Uh, what would you think of this Hall of Fame class and uh, anyone that stuck out to you? Oh, man. Um, I-, I think if you were to say it's the greatest class of all time, I don't know if I'd argue that. It might be biased on our part just because the three of us grew up with literally all three of these guys. Yeah. The whole uh, night just stood out as a whole. So really just it's just good stuff all around, just feel good stuff. So. Yeah, I was going to say this is the best class ever. And you're just looking at these three and how far they've come and what they've accomplished. Kobe Bryant, this is even before, you know, what happened with him, the tragic accident. He's a top five player ever. Tim Duncan is also a top 10 player ever. So, yeah, this this class is probably – I know it is biased. I I get what you're saying, Pinel. We've all watched them. Tim Duncan's probably one of my favorite players ever just based off of – you know, how quiet he was. He would just go out there, do his job, kick your ass, and then just go home and, you know, love his love his family. <laughs> like, we're back. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, with, uh, with the Spurs, you know, we all know how dominant that dynasty was. We know how dominant the Lakers dynasty was. It was basically, for the longest time, it was basically Tim Duncan versus Kobe Bryant and Shaq. So um, that th- th- those two for sure. And then, of course, Kevin Garnett. On the Timberwolves, he was an absolute animal. On the Celtics, he was an absolute animal. And even down the like, at, I, the one thing I really, really loved about KG's career was he actually played the first, I think it was the first or it was either one year or two years of of Towns' career in Minnesota. So it was like passing of the torch. So I really, really love that, that Kevin Garnett somehow ended up going back to Minnesota just to groom a guy like Carl Anthony Towns. I think that was that was a big, big thing for KG in his career. And, of course, him winning it with the Celtics. And this was a guy we talk about so many guys like CP3, you know, greats that, you know, they, they, they're they so close to winning it. And some, some, you know, some manage to win, some don't. And at, at the time, I literally thought KG was going to be one of those guys where you're dominated in a league with LeBron's, with Kobe's, with Tim Duncan's, with all these guys that are – just absolute winners and you're looking down the down the the line and it's like well is Kevin Garnett ever going to win a, a chip and then all of a sudden he goes to Boston he's the best player out of the uh, in the big 3 there and you know he led them to actually beat i believe it was Kobe Bryant in the finals so yeah these three they've all somehow met it on the grandest stage of them all at some point and uh yeah they're all great pros so this is definitely in my opinion this is the best hall of fame class ever yeah, I agree with you guys. Like looking at the like some past ones, like I know MJ when he went to the Hall of Fame, that was like a pretty good class. But like you look at some of these players that went in, and it's crazy. Like if you even add that TNT, NBA on TNT crew, you got Shaq, Barkley, and Kenny. 
So add that to this great list of names here. But all their careers are kind of like together. Like you mentioned, Tim Duncan and Kobe, all those years going back and forth with the Lakers and Spurs. Uh, KG after when he went to the Celtics. And that first year, that big three beat the Lakers. Kobe goes back, wins it with Orlando, and then goes back to the third straight final, beats Boston. So uh, all these guys were big parts of each other's careers, and it was nice to see them. But uh, going on now to next year, we got some names going in. We got Ben Wallace, Paul Pierce, um, Chris Weber, and our guy, CB4, Chris Bosch. So what are your thoughts on next year's class? Take it, Pinello. Yeah, that's another uh, that's another star-studded class right there. I mean, I'm excited, especially for Bosch. <laughs> I think um, I've grown up. I like it was all about Vince, but I kind of I kind of gravitated a little after that towards basketball. So I think my childhood favorite was Chris Bosch. So seeing him go in. After spending about 10, 11 years with the Raps and then seeing him get two rings later with Miami, was it's, it's just an awesome feeling seeing him go into the hall. So, yeah, next year's going to be awesome for sure. Yeah, it's well-deserved, especially for a guy like Chris Bosh with what he did for this Raptors franchise. And, uh, you know, some fans to this day are still a little bitter of him leaving and walking in free agency and going to that super team in Miami. But... We all know how close he was with Wade and, and LeBron. It's not like he just went with two random guys. Like these guys were their best friends. So um, it was, I'm really happy the way Chris Bosch won the chips. He won it in dominant fashion. He was the one of the most dominant third options I can at least remember in the last 20 years. So uh, he was dominant. Ben Wallace, you know, for his defensive defensive game. And of course that 05 chip with the Pistons was absolutely huge. Chris Weber, we were talking before the pod went up. This guy's probably one of the most underappreciated big men in the last 25 years. So it's really nice to see him go into the Hall of Fame. And, of course, my this guy, to me, I hate him just as much as a guy like a Daniel Alfredson. But Paul Pierce, you know what? He deserves it. He's been with the Celtics. I've had nightmares about that guy time and time again. But, you know, when it came down to the wire, even when he was on Brooklyn, when he was on Washington, you get the ball in Paul Pierce's hands in the last 10 to 15 seconds – you might lose the game. So Paul Pierce, time after time, was clutch like that. One of the best scorers Boston has ever seen. So, yeah, all these guys are very, very well deserving of going into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think it's a nice class. Like even Ben Wallace, it goes into that Rodman category. Like his stats don't jump out at you as like a superstar, 30-point-a-game guy. But it's what he did defensively, rebounding, and in the playoffs for the Pistons when they beat the Lakers. A uh, big part of that. Weber... He's another not like he t- like went downwards after like his stats really took a hit when he uh just physically depleted a bit like maybe the injuries piled up. Uh, Bosch is kind of like the KG category, which is surprising to people, but like he started off with the Raptors. They he was carrying them, putting up all those numbers, being an All Star, uh, earning that rep. Then he went to Miami, kind of like what KG did. He went to the Celtics, and that's when he won his championship and. Unfortunately, his career got cut short, but uh, in terms of Weber, though, I'll go back to that for a sec because, like, it's going to be awkward. Like, every guy, if you follow the pattern of what they're doing, they all mention, like, college or university, then the pros. Like, 
for Weber, everyone's going to obviously know the Sacramento years with white chocolate, uh, our boy. Uh, but they're also going to go back to the his uh, university days, Michigan, with uh, Jalen Rose and the Fab Five. So you think that's going to put a little damper on the mood there? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think it, I think, but at the end of the day, especially you know when you're at a when you're at a Hall of Fame uh, ceremony, I feel like you can get away with saying almost anything, and you know they they take it more as a joke than seriously, and you, you really can't. And again, it depends on the narrative. You know what I mean? Like a guy like Chris Weber going all the way back, probably in the late '80s or mid '80s, about talking about his college days and you know how he. He went up against KG and all these other guys. And it, it to me, I don't know if it's going to damper anything if it's all about the process. If it's about the if it's a part of the process and how he got there, I don't really see how it can be a negative. Um, because we've seen with wrestling, you know, uh, like guys like Ric Flair, guys with Triple H. These guys have told stories backstage, heated altercations. And at the end of the day, they just brush it off and they laugh. So. I don't know. For me, when it comes to Hall of Fame inductions or any type of speeches for that matter, even if there are some negative, um, you know, stories or, or, you know, incidents that happen, I think they only tell that just because it's, you know, groom them to become a better player and, you know, be a part of the process. So, yeah, I don't think it would, I don't think it's going to damper anything. I think these guys are all, especially Jalen Rose, I know at times he can be a little colorful, but I think he'll be okay. <laughs> I have nothing to add to that. Right with that. <laughs> you think like everyone's going to expect him like, oh, he's going to mention the Fab Five. And then after like, if they don't say anything beforehand, like if before the Hall of Fame ceremony, they don't do that thing that Shaq and Kobe and maybe some of the other guys did have that little sit down that that's what everyone's going to, it's going to like overshadow, I guess, his Hall of Fame thing. Cause they're all going to be saying he kind of disses himself from those guys and there's still a little beef there. I don't know. It, it it depends on like how they want to go about it. I mean, if I'm Jalen Rose, I don't think I really want to um, be looked at in that perspective. Uh, going going into a Hall of Fame uh, situation and basically just ruining it uh, just to just to tell a little bit of story time. I just feel like that's not that's not what Jalen Rose is about. I feel like he, you know he's been on the panel for what it's been like two or three years now, so he's he's got the experience now. I actually saw, I know it was Mother's Day, but he, you know, on, you know, he started crying, you know, because of his mom and it happens, you know, emotions get the better of you. But I think in this situation, I don't see Jalen Rose doing that. Maybe he will just for maybe like a two minute laugh. But other than that, I don't think it's going to overshadow or, or um, ruin the, the Hall of Fame experience that, you know, Chris Webber is going to go through. All righty. Well, uh, something interesting that's going to happen uh, before we're, I guess it's going to take place tonight, but NBA play-in tournament is uh, underway. We saw the Celtics and, uh, you know, their win. I thought that was impressive over Russ and uh, Beal. We saw Charlotte get eliminated, and that's going to be another story. I think MJ's going to be a little pissed off about that with Gordon Hayward. But we got the West now. We got Memphis, San Antonio. LA, Golden State, which game you're looking forward to most? 
Uh, just 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 because I know Pinello's going to say the other one, I'll say Spurs and Memphis. Uh, I think that one, it's deja vu for me because I'm pretty sure these two were exa- exactly where they are last year. And the thing with me with Memphis is they're very exciting. You look at you know what JV can do. Jaron Jackson's back now. Dylan Brooks has had a fine year. John Morant, I told Pinello, I think he'll be better than Trey Young. I think this guy's going to... He's going to be a really, really dominant point guard in this league. He already is, but give him another two years. I think he'll be a top five. But um, I'm really excited to see what, how much you know, gas DeMar DeRozan has, if this guy can really um, – right now it's put up or shut up. He, we all know he wants a, an extension. He wants to sign with a contender. So this is like his last push. If he really wants to still be considered an all-star and, and one of the top 20 players in the league, you're going to go out there and you're going to – Take down not only take down Memphis, and then you're going to go and try and beat out either Golden State or the Lakers. So um, I'm really looking forward to uh, the Memphis and San Antonio, just based off of you know what John Morant and Jaron Jackson can do as a young core, and what Demar Derozan can do uh, heading into free agency. So I'm very excited for that, and of course the other game. But I'll let Pinello uh, expand on that. I missed. Uh, I got cut out before you guys just talking about the the playing series for the West. Yeah, like which uh, which game are you looking forward to? Are you looking for uh, Demar versus JV or uh, Lakers Golden State? I mean, probably <laughs> Lakers Golden <laughs> State, but I like the other series. Just as a Raptors fan, seeing Demar <laughs> go up against JV and um, oh, it's and uh, Pirtle. But I'll be pretty surprised if uh, Memphis finds a way to lose this game. I feel like some of their guys have been pretty hot down the stretch. I just feel like they have more throughout their lineup. Uh, I don't know if they have someone to counter Ja over there. Um, JV is a bit of a problem. Jaron Jackson just came back maybe a couple weeks ago. Kyle Anderson, Dylan Brooks have been balling out. So Demar's got a big problem over there if they got to make it past uh, the Grizzlies. I said to Alino, I'm like, I'll I'll talk about Memphis San Antonio because I know Pags oh, will talk good. about the other one. And then this guy talks about the Memphis. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, I'll, I guess we'll talk about the Lakers game now. So Lakers and Golden State, that is a game that you know everybody will want to watch in the postseason, but we gotta get it in a single elimination game, which is kind of bullshit, but you know, it is what it is. So um I think Golden State I think if if Curry can manage to beat LeBron James here and then beat and then like go in as like the seventh seed and and take on Phoenix or take on Utah and eliminate them, Curry's my MVP. Uh, he's been the borderline MVP all year. He won the scoring title at 32 years old, especially with this Golden State team. That's also really hard to do because, you know, you expect guys like Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins – to ask for the ball a little more. You think, you know, Curry's shot attempts are going to go down maybe just a little bit, but no, they just skyrocketed 32 points a game. LeBron James, we all know his ankle hasn't been the same since I want to say maybe mid January. So he's been dealing with that injury for quite some time, but this is, this is a prime time game for NBA. And uh, I I still think the Lakers, I don't think they're going to really run into too many problems here, but out of all the teams that they wanted to face in a play-in tournament, it definitely was not. It's definitely not Golden State. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this one. I think both of them should make the playoffs when it's all done. Like 
depending on what happens tonight, I think Golden State wins. They take the seventh seed against Phoenix, and then I think the Lakers, uh, unless something crazy happens, they should be the eighth seed there against Utah. But I don't know. That San Antonio one's a little interesting. Damar has a real uh, opportunity here. He can take out JV in one round, and then if he goes and faces the Lakers, he can go and finally redeem himself from all those years on the Raptors when LeBron and Cleveland were to eliminate them. Goes in, he has a chance to just take out LeBron in one game. I think Lamar's motivated here. That's low key a guy I'm looking at as if he can turn it on here and be that game changer. I think everyone's going to be talking about him. His uh, free agency like appeal is going to go skyrocketing. So I'm looking at Demar uh, to be an impact player here. And going on, I think just some of these matchups like Washington will face Indiana now for the eighth spot. Do you see Indiana taking it, or should Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal be able to take care of them? Oh man! Well, Boston's now confirmed this the the seventh seed, so that takes away um, whoever's going to be the seventh seed there. But I I'm still gonna go I'm still gonna go with Washington just because I've been a little biased the last little while with Westbrook and you know what he's been able to do. Um, he didn't have a good game last night. I think he only dropped like 20, 14 and, and five, which again, that sounds amazing, but you know, the last like three months, he's just been on a completely different level. So, um, last night was not Russ's night. It was Tatum's night dropping 50 points. So really happy for Tatum to now go up against, um, this is, this is going to be a huge series for Boston for guys like Jalen Brown and Tatum. This is to see how elite they truly are going up against guys like KD, Harden, and Kyrie. I don't think they're going to win, but this is going to be a huge showcase for what Tatum and Brown and even Kemba can really do against these big guys. But I really like what Indiana did yesterday. They reminded me of the Raptors like two years ago, how like six guys got well over 10 points. So if they can do that on a consistent night, I can see Indiana being even a problem for Philly if they were to sneak in. So um, I'm still going to go with Washington to edge out Indiana, but man, like these two teams flip a coin because they are, I think they're equally the same when you think of level of excellence. I think any of those um, three teams remaining would give Philly problems, but yeah, like I don't think they'd be serious contenders to knock them off, but I like a fun five, six game series. But for this, I'm going to go Indiana over Washington. It's uh yeah, they got the same amount of wins. Washington obviously came fucking firing back the last two months. But uh yeah, flip a coin. I like Sabonis, I like Indiana all year. I'm gonna give it to them. So but yeah. Yeah, I know this uh I don't know, Washington, do you think they would be a tougher matchup for Philly over Indiana, or do you think Indiana would be uh giving them more problems in a first round? The Wizards would probably give them more problems, just Russ and Beal alone. But uh, just as a team as a whole, I just like the Pacers much better, the way they're structured. But, yeah, if Washington were to slide in there, Russ would definitely steal a game or two. Yeah, I want to say uh, Indiana would probably give them the harder matchup just based off of, you know, who they have. You know, Miles Turner just led the league in blocks. So if you can maybe – I know it's a mismatch. Anything is a mismatch with Joel Embiid when he's on because he's probably the best center. And yeah, he, at times he is better than Jokic. So 
but Miles Turner, he led the league in block shots. You have a guy like Golga Batadze, who's like seven foot one. Um, you know, they have guys like Sabonis, who you could even switch on to him. He's a he's a pretty good defensive player. Uh, Brogdon's been great. Lamb, Mc, McConnell, like McDermott, all these guys, they're great depth players. So, yeah, I agree with Pinello in terms of a team perspective. I think Indiana could maybe give Philly a, a harder time, but just like the way that Russ and Beal, the way they can dominate a game, I feel like the backcourt in Philly just would not stand a chance. Like Danny Green and, and Milton and, and Ben Simmons is going to have to guard Westbrook and that, that could either be really good or really, really bad. So I, I still think Philly it would beat both teams, but I, I I need to see Westbrook take on Joel Embiid. That's just entertaining as hell. I have to see that. Well, uh, moving on to the playoff matchups, like just looking at this, man, whoever made this uh, thing doing the Lord's work here. What a god! I know, I know. That's, that's, that's <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know how this play-in thing worked beforehand. I'm gonna be honest. Like I was com- totally confused by it. But the way they had it all up here with the grids and going winner goes here, seven eight winner goes on, but eight or the loser that still gets to play finally makes sense here. But uh, looking at this, I see Milwaukee Miami rematch. That's really interesting. Uh, in the West, you got the Clippers and Mavs and Denver Portland. Could we see a surprise in the first round, or do you have the higher seeds moving on? Um, I guess I'll start in the West just because it's a little tighter. I'll still say the Clippers beat the Mavs. I'll say in six games. I just think Kate, I still think Porzingis. There's something going on there. I think his. I feel like the injury that he's been battling is not a hundred percent. I thought this guy would be averaging twenty three by now. And he's still only averaging like 16, 17. So he's got to be a little bit better for me uh, if if they want to beat a team like the Clippers. Kawhi has been a borderline MVP player this year. Paul George has been inconsistent at times, but Kawhi is the guy that he drives the truck there. So I'll go with the Clippers. He's a, he's a winner. So I'll say six. And then when it goes to Denver and Portland, this is where it gets really tough, and um, I love Jokic. I've had him all year in fantasy. I think he's the MVP this year. Um, just, an, just a freak of nature. When you look at what he's been able to do, he's barely missed any games this year too, so that's why I have him more as an MVP-type uh, candidate than Embiid. Uh, I still think, though, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, now with Norman Powell and you know Mello and, and Collins and – and who else they have there? They have Nurkic and Cantor. I think I think Portland upsets here. I'm going to give this one to Portland in seven games. I think Damian Lillard, at some point in time, he's going to have to do, you know, uh, not what not what Kawhi did in Toronto, but I just feel like he's going to have to do that one of these years. He's going to have to carry them really far, and I feel like this could be the year. Um, so I'm going to go with Portland beating Denver in seven games. Is that really an upset, though? Is that like just based off standings it's an upset? Because when well, I look I'm, at that, I yeah, feel like sure. Portland might be the favorite. Yeah, especially with Murray out, I think. Yeah, Portland I think, probably I think it's be. just based off of stats, yeah, like based off of standings because they have five more wins in them. So maybe that's it. And you have the MVP on your team. I don't know. I, I feel like if you have an MVP on your team, that's just 
Yeah. I don't know. I think that puts him over the hump at least because Jokic can win you like at least two or three games. If he's on, he'll drop 25, eight and 11. So I don't know. Like I do agree. I do see what you're saying without Jamal Murray, what he did last year, but you have guys like now Aaron Gordon going to the team, Michael Porter jr. So this team, they're still really, really scary. Uh, even without, even without Jamal Murray. So I, I, it makes sense. I see what you're saying with, you know, having a healthy Portland team. They're probably a little bit more um, favored, but I still think Denver is the favorite here to win the series. But I'll I'll say Portland upset seven games. Man, that's tough. Cause like, even if they had Jamal Murray, I'd still be – that's like a flip a coin kind of series. I still wouldn't know. But I think whoever whoever Utah plays – I think the either the Lakers or the Warriors may take them out. Probably the Lakers, <laughs> but that would be. Yeah. I don't give a shit. Fifty-two player. and twenty. <laughs> if they have to play the Lakers, they're not winning the fucking first round. So I, yeah, I guess that's an upset. I don't know. The other one would be like if Dallas were to beat the Clippers, but I I see LA winning that series. So. And I look at the East and everything, it might just be the higher seeds. I don't really – I think Maybe Milwaukee Miami. would beat Miami. I, that would be the one, yeah. But I think this would be the year that Milwaukee would take it. Not in – holy fuck, what was it, five games last year? Oh, yeah. They killed them. <laughs> and then the Raptors this had year, a nice yeah. opportunity. Yeah. This year I'd, I would say Milwaukee in seven. But that would be the, the upset series, I guess, for the East. Yeah, yeah, I I guess I'll go with if we're talking about like if we're trying to predict the play-in, I'll just say Utah faces the Warriors, and I'll say yeah, I'll say the Warriors win in like seven games. <laughs> no no knock on Utah, but when you don't have Mitchell, that's that's really bad. You're gonna need Bogdanovich to drop like twenty one, twenty two, and I, that's very unlikely. So I'll go with Golden State if they face Utah. I think Golden State's gonna win. Curry power guys gonna win. He's going to win them a series, go go against – they're going to go and probably face the winner. Oh, wait, no, who would they face after that? They'd probably face the Clippers, actually, if yeah. they were to win. So that would be fun. But I'll, I'll definitely go with the Lakers beating Phoenix. If if the Lakers face Phoenix, I think that would be a six-gamer, maybe a five for the Lakers. But I'm going in now because we really haven't talked that much about the East. This series kills me. I'm just looking at that. The, the Knicks and the, the Hawks. Like last year, they were both bottom five teams. <laughs> they're four and five, and they're in the playoffs. I love it for guys like Trey Young, Julius Randle. Man, he deserves it. He's done. Uh, he's just round of applause for that guy getting goofed around by by Max Kellerman on ESPN. You know, buying Stephen A. That 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 Julius Randle Knicks jersey as a joke, and then this guy balls out the year after. So good for Julius Randle. You know, putting the work in. I love seeing that. I think the Knicks are going to beat the Hawks, I'll say, in six games. And, of course, with the Bucks and the Heat, I'm still going to go with the Bucks, but I'm going to go, yeah, I'm going to go in seven games. Tyler Hero recently has found his groove again, and that's always scary. So I'm still going to go with Milwaukee. I don't think Butler can do what he did like last year because that was just – that was almost LeBron-like. So I don't see him doing that again. I think he's going to run into a little bit of fatigue down the stretch against Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee eliminates them, and then we already know the other two, Brooklyn and Philly. doesn't matter who they face. They're going on. Yeah. So, I like uh, that. Uh, 
Real quick, I like that New York and Atlanta series. Just two completely random teams based off last <laughs> season in the four or five seed. I'd like the Knicks. I don't know if anyone on that fucking team's even been in the playoffs. Randall, oh, D Rose, buddy. D Rose. Oh, yeah, D Rose. Fucking Taj Gibson's over there. <laughs> Everyone else is a rookie. Everyone on Atlanta, same thing. I think Capella with Houston and Lou Will and Gallinari. But like, it's exciting. Two young, exciting teams. I'll take Atlanta in seven, but. I think that's a win-win series just for basketball fans to see those two teams there. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm with you guys on that. Like, I, I see the Knicks and Atlanta. That can't be an upset because they're both the same record. So it's uh, going to be an interesting one. I'm kind of pulling for the Knicks, though, because of D-Rose. I want to see that yeah, be successful. That would be cool. fun. MVP. But uh going to go on now to the rink because uh, there's some hockey. Uh, NHL North division starts and already, you know, Montreal starting to get people going. They pull out a statement yesterday that if this goes to a game six, they're going to have 2,500 people in the audience and everyone's going nuts because they're saying, Oh, what about Toronto? What about this? Uh, are they being a little, uh, out there? Like, do they know this isn't going six games? So they just announced it. You know what? I hope it does go six games. Let me tell you exactly what I want to happen. I want it to go game six overtime. We have Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and Alex Galchenyuk. And guess who scored that overtime winner in the Bell Center? The third overall pick from 2012, Alex Galchenyuk. So you know what? Six games, all four. Let's go to Montreal. Alina, what did you say? You said you th- no one thinks it's going to six games? I think it's, they'll be generous and lucky if it goes to five. So they said, you know what? Let's announce this for game six just to build some uh, attention. Nice little PR move. Everyone looks good. Montreal says, you know, we really tried and uh, just didn't go our way. Six games and we couldn't have the fans. And maybe in September, October, we can get some fans in there. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this right now. Uh, all Leaf fans out there, you gotta pump the brakes because we were saying the same thing last year with Columbus and we lost. So I know I know a lot of fan. I know Matthews had a 40 goal year in under 60 games. For goodness sake, Marner, what was he like fourth in scoring this year? It's just we gotta relax. It, we always put ourselves in this position where we face a team that. It's either we don't know enough about or they're looked at as – the, the problem with the Leafs the last five-plus years is if they're a team not named the Boston Bruins, we're taking them easy. And it's starting to piss me off. Like last year, yeah, we're going to beat them in five. No, that didn't happen. So I've even talked to some people this year. Oh, we haven't faced the Habs in 42 or 45 years. Uh, I think I think the Leafs are going to beat them in four. Montreal's a joke. I just I'm looking at them like, but they have Weber, they have Carey Price, like they've had our number a couple games this year. I don't think it's gonna be as easy as people think it is. So I'm gonna still say six games for for Toronto. I just when people say sweep, I just it makes my skin crawl. I get so nervous. So I'm not gonna say we're gonna sweep Montreal because I don't even think we would sweep Ottawa. So I'm gonna say six games for Toronto. And that is it. I'm not really going to say a lot about it because I do not want to jinx it. This year, 
I'm going to be really, really superstitious. So Leafs in six, that is it. <laughs> oh, man, if Toronto does not win this in five, you know Cal Dubas is going to be sweating his ass off in that press box. All the guys he brought in, all the little uh, risks he took, I think they ha- they can't be uh, settling for six and seven and uh, giving Montreal a chance because they got Weber there, like you said. I love Weber as a player. He's a stud. We but know you do, buddy. They can't be uh, they can't be doing what they did last year by giving Seth Jones and Dubois and uh, Wierenski all this time to uh, become superstars. They're going for the kill. Uh, Galchenyuk, I think he's found his game. Let's hope. Uh, I don't want to hear like, oh, maybe he's had a bad game here or there. No, this is the big leagues. This is the big time. This is playoff hockey. I want to see that game found and ready to go. I think he can be a difference maker, and I never thought I would ever say that. But I think he can be a difference maker in the series, and uh, I'm going Leafs in five. So uh, it's time for Jack Campbell to uh, become that number one. Anderson, he got his little time there. I don't think he'll start game one. So this is Campbell's uh, big opportunity to show that he's a number one goalie. If we're gonna like quickly talk about this series a little more, I just want to quickly mention because we do have a lot of depth guys that I think should be able to play at some point like you have Galchenyuk, Riley Nash, Kerfoot, Mikheyev, Engvall, like Simmons all these guys are scratching the play like out of all those guys in like a game six like if if, if this were to be like a 3-2 series lead for the Leafs you're going into game six who's the one guy for sure you are not playing out of all those guys because for me like it if I'm Kyle Dubas and I'm looking at the team this is gonna be very very hard in terms of the forward group that I'm looking at, because there are some guys that they just fill a role so perfectly. Like, like a lot of people would argue that you probably don't need to play a guy like a Mikheyev some games. And it, I'm just looking at that. And I think that's ridiculous, but Pierre Engvall down the stretch has been absolutely outstanding. So I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think on the depth players in Toronto? Who would you potentially sit for the the whole series? If you had to pick a guy. Okay. So, the names were Riley Nash, Mikheyev. Who were the other two? Engvall, Galchenyuk, Simmons. On oh, Kerfoot. And Kerfoot, yeah. You think, fuck, eh? you think they'd scratch Kerfoot? Makes too much Oh, money. man, yeah, they, they might have to, man, with Thornton and Spezza and Tavares and Matthews. and Yeah, they might have to. At least one game they might have to. I think, uh, yeah, I, I think at times most of those guys will sit. I don't know if Thornton and Simmons, yeah, they're in. But um, I don't want to sit him, but I want to say Riley Nash. But he's another guy, too. Like, he's a perfect fourth-line center, and he comes in and he does his job so well. But I, I don't think I would take Mikheyev out. I love Engvall. Uh, <laughs> there are times they, you know, all of them will disappear. But, like, you can only ask for so much from your bottom six forwards. But there's a lot of interchangeable forwards here. And that's a good problem to have if you're Toronto. So I guess Riley Nash, but I think they'll all get in and they'll all do solid. Yeah, I think they'll all get in. I'm going to just lean more towards Kerfoot. Like, I know he makes a lot of money, but like all those guys are mostly wingers. Like, Spezza can go on the wing and play center. So I think because of that, they'll probably go Thornton as a center, move Spezza to the wing. So, like, that Riley Nash can play the fourth line center role and then. You can have Mikheyev, you can have Engvall, Galchenyuk on the wing, 
Galchenyuk's actually worked on the wing, uh, depending on the situation. So I think probably Kerfoot might be the odd one. No, it's just going to be like a problem come the draft. Like, would you be able to strike a deal with Seattle to free up some cap? You might have to give a draft pick to them to take uh, Kerfoot off your team, but that's kind of uh, one of the risks you're going to have to take. They might lose another draft pick because of it. I have uh, two more things about the, this series, and then we'll move on. Uh, we talked about during the year how much Marner and Matthews have played the penalty kill, like over the whole year. And I know uh, Pinello, you said you've loved seeing that. You know they can score on the penalty kill. You know they're the best players on our team. But you know when it comes to the playoffs, th- these type of guys, it, it, there's a certain role. You know for the penalty killers, like we have a Hyman, we have a Simmons, we have a Thornton. We have these guys, these sandpaper type of guys. When it comes to the postseason, are you still sticking with Marner on the penalty kill, or are you going to go with a Zach Hyman and a and a Mikheyev? Yeah, I think I'd switch it up. I'd still have Matthews and Marner out there, just not as regularly as they were throughout the regular season. So, yeah, you're going to need those guys on offense, and guys get fucking hurt in the playoffs all the time. So the Leafs have a ton of depth. Maybe you don't have to – fucking kill them on the penalty kill, Matthews and Marner. So, yeah, you're probably seeing a lot more of Hyman and Felino and Mikheyev and all those guys. What do you think, uh, Alino? Yeah, it's a tough one because Mikheyev was brought in as a sandpaper kind of guy. And now when you have Simmons on the team and you have a guy like that that could play that role, like Riley Nash, like, He's a good defensive guy, so it's going to come down to like how much of that do you want on your bottom line. So if you can have more scoring there, like Spets has been adding, but him and Thornton, you got to cut them some slack at some point. They can't do that every night anymore. So it's something where it's going to become a risk. Like, do you want to put those guys in and have too much sandpaper on that line, or do you want to mix in some skill with those uh, aggressive type of offensive guys that go on the boards and cause fights and big ruckuses in the round there. So I think they'll do it for the first game. I think that's what will set a tone. But as the series goes on, we'll see more of the skill guys get on the lineup. Yeah, I think that's perfectly said. Yeah. It's just because, like, you you look at the way that they've played Montreal, and it it can go one of two ways. So we read, we said before the pod went up, that Romanov, Caulfield, and Kalkanyemi are all sitting in game one. And those are the young, skilled players. So I feel like if they're sitting those guys, I think they're going to play a little more of a gritty game. You know, you have Corey Perry now, Josh Anderson, these guys, I think they're going to go out there and they're absolutely going to use their body to create space and get chances. So if you if you want to put a Hyman and a Mikheyev and a Simmons and a Felino all on the penalty kill, I think that equals, you know, the type of game that they want to possess and play. So I want to see that, but I think down the stretch, I think when it comes to game five, game four, I think it's the mirror effect, honestly. I think that's what Kyle Dubas has to really look at when you think of this Montreal team. If you're going to sit guys like Caulfield, uh, Romanov, and, and Kokanyemi, and you're going to put guys probably like Cousins and you know those those more sandpaper type of guys in the lineup, like a Froelich, like a Corey Perry, um, then I would probably play the gritty guys. But if you put a Cole, Cole Caulfield – Romanov, Kokanyem, you can kind of ease the sandpaper guys off a little bit. You could play guys more uh, comfortably, like a Kerfoot, like a Marner, um, you know, even like a Nick Robertson if he wants to come back and be in the lineup. But 
Um, that that's another question that I wanted to kind of ease into is uh, these two guys and Sandine and then Nick Robertson because they've been eased into this lineup before. Uh, I don't know necessarily if they were in the lineup last year in the postseason. I know I know Robertson was and then he got hurt. But do you guys see Sandine and Robertson seeing any playoff action during these playoffs this season? I'd say Sandine more than Robertson, just because on defense, you, you see a lot of defensemen in there because you can't have the same two guys play half the game. So he's been getting in there the last uh, few weeks in the regular season. He's been playing a bit. So I like Sandine. I don't know if you'll see Robertson as much just because of all of the depth forwards they've been picking up. He may get in there. I'm not sure. Um, I think he's like after Galchenyuk and Riley Nash, though. So. I would play Sandy in between the two, but I wouldn't be surprised if you saw Robertson either. Yeah, I think Robertson won't play just because he they had a little bit of a setback early on in the year. I think that kind of took away his opportunity, unfortunately. So if on the Leafs, I look more to hold him off for next year and make him an everyday NHLer. I think he's too good for the AHL. I think it's time to move on for him, but uh, I think Sandine will probably be the one that gets an opportunity. He just adds so much, and they might need that uh, depending on what happens there. They have Dermot, but you don't know with him. Uh, you have like guys who are on the power play. They could add, but it's mostly the penalty kill for them. That's what they really built on, so I'll go Sandine on that. I was watching Leafs lunch. Sorry, my mic was muted accidentally. Uh, I was watching Leafs lunch, and I I remember they were talking about Sandine, and this was in like January, and they were saying how, uh, like, they were saying how pissed off he was, and how he wasn't really playing, and how he was kind of stuck in limbo in Toronto, and then all of a sudden, I think it's been the last month we've seen a different Rasmus Sandine. They've put him on the top power play at times to give Riley a little bit of rest. And it's looked pretty damn solid. He's got a good shot. He knows how to move the puck uh, at the top of the top of the point and in the offensive zone. So I think Rasmus Sandin, I think he might be in the lineup a little more than we think. I mean, you look at guys in the, the bottom six of I think it's Bogosian Dermot and uh Bogosian Dermot and I wanna say Hudden have all been those are the three that have been really trying to get that last spot. Because uh, Sandin has been playing a lot more consistently, uh, I think those are the four D that you kind of go in and out of the lineup. But again, if you want to stick with the veteran type of guy and the guy that just won the cup, I wouldn't be surprised if Bogo stays in the lineup the whole playoffs. Um, so I'll I'll still go Sandin. He'll probably play a little more than we think, but I think the future. I think Sandin. I think he's coming, man, and uh, we should be excited because. Last year when we had Barry, he wasn't in the position he is in now, where he's a lot more confident. You could easily slot him in on the top power play, where last year you had Riley and Barry both be potentially top power play quarterbacks. So seeing Sandy be put in a position like that, especially after rarely playing in the in the regular season, it's exciting, but at the same time, it's, it's, a, it's a little nerve-wracking if you're a Leaf fan. So um, let's hope he doesn't do a Gardner, and let's hope you know he just – he stays confident down the stretch, but are we going to talk more about the other playoffs, or is it just is it just uh, this one series? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leaps. Yeah. <laughs> go, Leafs, go, man. Yeah, I don't want to jinx the other ones. Like, I think Edmonton, they're going to fucking roll through Winnipeg. Unfortunately, I think uh, Connor and Leon, they're time to shine in Edmonton. If they don't, it's going to be uh, rough on their management. It's going to be a lot of question marks. Uh, I think Pittsburgh, they did the job there. They got a good one win over uh, the Islanders, who everyone thinks is probably going to go through. But uh, are you guys counting out Pittsburgh uh, after that one win that they tied the series going into the Islanders? I was counting out Pittsburgh. Uh, I I thought they were going to win. I thought the Islanders were going to win the series from even before it started, just based off of the last two years. Pittsburgh's really struggled. They lost to Montreal last year. So I just was going off based off of that. But, you know, you win a game without Geno, that's absolutely huge. I think you get him back for game three. Jeff Carter, it's hilarious. Alino, you said in the pod, uh, you said Carter was one of the better ads. And, of course, he gets the game winner in game two. So I absolutely love every time Alino makes these predictions, they they go through. So I guess it's looking like Pittsburgh is – Looks like they're in a good spot right now. You know, the series is tied 2-2 going into game three back home. Or no, sorry, going to New York. Um, but, you know, if you get Gino back, there's nothing really to worry about. Yeah, man, go Pens, go. I'm never counting out a team with uh, with Crosby, Malkin, and Latang on it. And then you throw in Jeff Chef over there, who's scoring every game all of a sudden. Kapanen, who you forgot he was on the fucking Penguins. Oh, I did. Jared McCann. I did. <laughs> McCann's been nice the last couple of years. Gensel, we know what he can do in the playoffs. But um, apparently that doesn't matter because when you're playing the New York Islanders, they seem to fuck up everything. So this should be a very fun series. I'm still taking Pittsburgh, though, in a six or seven gamer. Yeah, I think Pittsburgh wins. I, like the Islanders, though, like those two players they got from Jersey, it just Lou Lamarillo knows his guys. He brings them in, and it seems to just fit. Like a team you wouldn't really think on paper would go far, and they do it every year. So lose a solid GM. Uh, what do you guys think of the Vegas series? Because uh, I was watching on TV. Clearly, COVID over there, they don't give a fuck. I throw everyone in the arena. Let's go. No mass. Just enjoy yourselves. If you get sick, you get sick. If you don't, ah, well, it was a nice night out. <laughs> what do you guys think of Vegas and the, what they did? I'm not going to lie to you. I think this whole series, I think the whole storyline is based off of how far can Minnesota go. It's not like this series, it's not even about Vegas at all. For me, when I look at this series like in like two years, the only thing we're going to talk about is how the hell did Minnesota get there? Because last year I was looking at this team and I was laughing like, Koivu, Parise, uh, all these guys, they just they were not good enough. And then Kaprasov all of a sudden just generates so much more offense for guys like Eric Sinek, <coughs> Victor Rask. All these guys are starting to score. Like even um, – what's that guy's name? Uh, not Fiala, the other guy. Jordan Greenway was having an absolutely unreal year now. So all these young guys are starting to finally come together in Minnesota, Kakin and the goalie. Um, Dumba hasn't even been as good as we've wanted him to be, but you have guys like Spurgeon who are stepping up. So, like, you look at this team on paper, it's almost laughable. And, Pinello, I know you know what I mean. 
You look at their their centers, and it just does not sound appealing whatsoever. But they're here. The series is tied 1-1. I think it could go either way if Talbot and Kakinen stay on their game. But again, you got Fleury and Leonard on the other side. But again, Alina, I'll say this. At the end of the day, this whole series, it is not necessarily about Vegas. It's more about how did many get here and how far can they go. Because this run with Minnesota, I know it's not on the same level or they're not going to be on the same level as what Toronto is now. But it reminds me of what the Leafs were in 2016, where they go to the playoffs, no expectations. Let's see how far they can go. And I think that's exactly what Minnesota is in right now. Yeah, I really don't have anything to add to that. Uh, I just don't know how Minnesota fans feel feel about it if they're in the same boat. Like, oh, we should have been, like, bottom five or ten. We should just be happy to be here. I don't know if they're in that or if they're – or if they're in a different mindset, because they still they have a few of these veteran guys, Suter and Spurgeon. Their top four have been there forever, it seems like, and Suter, Spurgeon, Brodine, and Dumba. And then all the young guys, just basically all their first year together, and Eric Sinek and Greenway and Fiala's low-key, one of the better players in the league, I think, um, when he's going, but... They just have a lot of nice players. They have a nice mix. Zuccarello's there, Johansson. But, like, yeah, what you said, they had a nice year. They overachieved. I don't think anyone expected much out of Minnesota. And if they can give Vegas a fight, I think Wild fans had a successful year. Yeah, definitely. Got to see how these NHL uh, and NBA playoffs play out in the next week. A lot of them now are... Like the Leafs when the Oilers, Jets, Habs, like this North Division is going to go on pretty quickly now, uh, now that they start tonight. Uh, and then after you go to the other series, they'll probably be wrapped up by our next episode uh, next week. Uh, so on that note, we'll go on to something that happened over the weekend. Because I don't know about you guys, but like in all these sports, there seems to be something where they're an interviewer, reporter at halftime, they go to the coach or player and... They say, you know what, what'd you think about this thing? And what are you doing after this half? What do you tell your team? And they all give this answer. I think on uh, Sunday at WrestleMania Backlash, Roman Reigns handled this well <laughs> because uh, he gave a little lesson to all those people that want to get out of the, doing those kind of interviews. A reporter who's new to the company goes up to Roman after the match. Can I get a word with you? And Roman just brushed it off that you would left. <laughs> What do you think about this uh, heel move by Roman? Start off with Chris. Oh, man. This run is just getting better. It's getting better and better. I mean, there's not a lot of subtle, creative stuff that goes on in WWE that I genuinely, like, just absolutely mark out for. And this is one of them where he just subtly just goes in the back, retaining, beating the you know, the baby face Cesaro, a lot of people actually wanted to see him win. And all of a sudden he just brushes it off. It's like, Oh, Roman, can I have a word with you? It's like, yeah, I bet, I bet you would. And he just keeps walking away. That just, that just shows how cocky, how confident. And just, he just, he just knows he runs the company right now. And I absolutely love just everything about this run. Uh, I know Pinello, you said that you put this on, on Daniel Bryan's, uh, 2018 run, I think it surpassed it. I think what he's doing right now, it's just, 
he's bringing the family involved with the Usos and, you know, Jay had to lose a hell in the cell. I quit match to align with him. It looks like we're going to get the same thing with the other brother at the freaking next hell in the cell pay-per-view. So it's looking like they're generating and garnering this as a whole storyline, even with other pay-per-views. So whoever's really booking this heel run, it's been spot on. It's been a perfect a hundred percent. This run is when you look back at it in like the next five, 10 years, it's going to be hard to beat this one. So Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman, Jey Uso, they're knocking it out of the park right now. And uh, I don't really see anybody beating this guy for a very, very long time. I had no idea where you were going with that until you said Roman Reigns. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, I know exactly what he's talking about. But, uh, yeah, I'm surprised something like that hasn't been done before. That's something Randy would do. But when that happened, I just started laughing. I'm like, yeah, that's that's Roman next level right there. Gotta love it. Yeah, I'm actually surprised too. Like, we always see a heel, and that would be the move to make when you're thinking about how can they get some heel heat backstage? Get a backstage interviewer to go up and say, can we have a word with you and not even say anything just to piss everyone off? But uh, I'm going to go to a lighter note from the pay per view because I uh, saw something nice. Ray and Dominic. New tag champs on SmackDown. The one thing I'm a little pissed off about, they didn't do this in front of a crowd. I think at SummerSlam it would have been perfect. So they had this in the Thunderdome. With I think the reaction would have been better with the crowd. Uh, what do you think of Ray and Dominic winning the titles? Oh, man, it's it gives me it kind of gives me butterflies, to be honest. Just looking at that picture, looking at how long I've been watching wrestling. And, like, this guy was, like, four – or not maybe not four, but, like – seven eight years old when he was on that programming with eddie guerrero and now he's here and he's a tag team champion with his dad so i mean the the fact that ray mysterio i remember i think it was 2014 or 2013 when he was you know gaining weight and we're all like okay he's probably done in like 2016 max and then he comes back and he's in the best shape of his life and i think he's already been back for three years so I mean, whatever Rey Mysterio's training program was way back in 2016-17, I need to get on that because he's looking absolutely incredible. Um, the fact that he's been able to stay an extra two, three years, you know, helping his son get in the business and then become a tag team champion, I think it's absolutely incredible. And I think out of all the runs, I think this might be Rey's favorite other than him winning the world title for Eddie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember that time back in 16 and we're like, all right, I think now he's on the, the downhill of his career, the twilight or whatever. But losing Pinello. That's uh... no, okay. No, but I know I know what he was going to say, though. Uh, like, because I think it was – was it the 2014 Rumble? Remember Alino when he got booed? He went out, oh, I think yeah. it was at 30, and, like, everyone just absolutely shit on him. And it's like, oh, come on, man. Like, you actually put Ray out at 30, and you all expect it to be Brian. And just the amount of boos he just got was just, just – it was insulting. So maybe he took that, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to go out, I'm going to leave for a bit, I'm going to train my ass off, I'm going to lose weight, 
and I'm going to come back. And then that's exactly what he did. I don't know if Alino, did he go to Mexico and wrestle for a bit or did he just specifically oh, yeah. train? Yeah, he went to Me- He was doing like a limited schedule. So he went to Mexico, Lucha Underground, and like a lot of uh, appearances where he wasn't working 300 days a year. He's probably working like 100. So he scaled it back, worried about his health, and it showed. So yeah, I think that's what he did. He just changed his schedule around. But yeah, man, like, like you look at like title runs, and for him, this is probably number one. I mean, I know the one that he won at WrestleMania for Eddie was absolutely huge, but this one, you know, when it's your own son, that's just that hits completely different. Um, I guess Ray wanted to beat LeBron uh, into you know doing this before LeBron plays with LeBron James Jr. Um, so I'm gonna say, yeah, this is probably one of his biggest moments of his career. I think he's 44 years old now, and the fact that he's still going at the way he is, it's remarkable. you got to love it for Rey Mysterio. Oh, Pinel, what do you think of uh, Rey? You cut out there when you were... Uh... What part, Holmes? <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about Rey and... Uh... What it meant to him, and like the, the, whole, yeah, the whole yeah, thing, like the, the whole, whole thing, thing cut, cut out. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I was gonna, <laughs> just before I was saying, I don't know which one of you guys posted it, but you had the picture from SummerSlam '05, and then the one with the titles. Now, and just seeing that is just kind of blowing my mind because we watched all that unfold as kids. So it probably is his favorite title run. Probably having the time of his life. I think the guy's our age. He's only like 24 or 5 or something like that. So, yeah, seeing, just seeing Ray with a title again. Just awesome stuff. And he did it with his dad's move, the frog splash. Did it for Eddie. <laughs> I love <laughs> just that. Imagine if that was at SummerSlam, though. The cr- I think they missed it on a moment. Like, you know, when you go back on WWE's oh. YouTube and you just search up all these moments. I think if this happened at WrestleMania, like the real WrestleMania, not WrestleMania Backlash, whatever the fuck they called this, <laughs> or SummerSlam with people, like 20,000, 30,000 people. I think they could have had something here. That could have been like uh, a moment a lot of fans go back to. Do you think they missed an opportunity by that? Yeah, absolutely. Because I was just talking about, like, I want to say the last seven years of Ray's career, he really hasn't had that big type of pop. Because uh, Pinella, I don't know if you heard, but when I, when we were talking back there, talking about Ray getting booed in 2014, the Rumble, like he got absolutely booed. And uh, I, 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 other than his Royal Rumble entry when he when he was a surprise entrant and came back, I haven't really heard a really really massive crowd reaction for Ray Mysterio. And um, every time I get big reactions for guys like Ray, for Brock, for Kurt, you know, anyone in my childhood, just brings back goosebumps. So. Yeah, Alino, I definitely think they did miss out here. I think at SummerSlam, if you had a little bit more of an audience, you have Ray and Dominic, especially at where Dominic debuted, you know, coming out in 05 in that ladder match. I think it absolutely would have been incredible. So, yeah, I definitely do think they could have even made it probably like a whole storyline, like 16 years in the making. But, yeah, they missed out big time here. But still a great moment for the – for well, I was going to say the Guerreros, for the Mysterios. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, there's uh, really nothing to add to that. I mean, the crowd is kind of what makes the whole thing. So I feel like they miss an opportunity every time there aren't people there. 
So if they have to, if they're at a point now where they have to pick and choose what goes in front of a live crowd, then this match definitely should have been one of them. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Uh, guess a final topic on wrestling here that we'll go to because uh, I don't know, it's rubbing people the wrong way. Everything about Raw seems like it's lacking something. Uh, it seems boring in a lot of fans' eyes, like they're missing everything creatively. Uh, what do you think Raw should stop doing, and what do you think they need to be doing more of? Uh, they need to they need to stop with this uh, this Alexa Bliss stuff. I think they need to kind of tone it down just a little bit. Um, she's been doing a hell of a job. Uh, there's really no direction that I can see in the women's division other than like two or like two of them. There's really no substance even you know in the triple threat for the wwe title like that was it was unreal i thought it was hard hitting but like you just knew that if lashley were to win he's probably taking on drew again because there's really nobody else so at this point in time i don't know if it's you need to maybe do like a roster shakeup, but i think you need to maybe start like i know that they had a couple alistair black vignettes so maybe if you want him to come back but Alino, I think we've been saying this, I want to say for five, six months. I think now is the time more than ever to bring up Adam Cole and Finn Balor. I think like it has to be done really, really soon. I want to say before Money in the Bank um, to make Raw really, really relevant again because I love Drew. I've been saying this for a while. He's been on Roman Reigns' level but he's been get he's been given way too many chances this year ever since losing the title. So I don't like again like Shelton Benjamin. He's started to get us a, a, a bit of wins, but again it's Shelton Benjamin. He's not gonna it's not gonna be very you know serious going up against the a Bobby Lashley. So they need to find a better baby face. I think to face a Lashley right now. I want to say Randy Orton, but you know he's in his stuff with uh, Matt Riddle. So and that's probably one of the most entertaining things on Raw. So. For me, I'll just see roster shakeup can probably be the only thing to change Raw right now. When was the last time they did a draft, if either of you remember? I think last year. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was last year, yeah. When when Lesnar when Lesnar went to Fox. Was that did they classify that though as a shakeup where they just move like five guys here and five guys there, or was it like an actual fucking draft? They have that oh, actually, I think it was. It was uh, when they had that guy from Raw Underground, Dabakato, and had uh, Mace and T Bar and all those guys <laughs> go to Raw. I think they actually, it might have been more recently than I think. might have actually been late last summer. I don't think it was called a draft. I don't think it was yeah. called a draft. I think it was just like a low key abundance of people getting called up. Yeah, yeah. That's usually the answer. It's usually a shake-up, a new guy debuts, but, like, what about uh, – <laughs> I'm going to throw it out there. When was the last time we saw the King of the Ring turn? Is that when Baron Corbin won? Yeah. That was when Baron Corbin won. Yeah, that was, like, three years ago. Yeah. Now uh, Shinsuke stole his crown. That a boy. Doesn't <laughs> want to go in a tournament. Just take the crown. <laughs> I just feel I like just whatever's won. happening in the Intercontinental, like – picture right now i think there's four of them i think you could easily have one of those four go to raw and make a big name for themselves like sammy k 
KO, uh, who else is there? Uh, Shinsuke, Apollo Crews, and like Big E, they're all there just floundering and on SmackDown. So I think like if you could get two of those five names to Raw, to, like pre- preferably baby faces, so Shinsuke and, and Kevin Owens, then I think Raw would be a little bit better, especially in the main event scene because I love Drew, I love Bobby, but you can't be doing that for like four or five months. You just can't. If they also focused more on fucking their tag team division, it would probably wouldn't be as stale because you're seeing three hours of singles matches and I don't know what they're doing with their women. I feel like it's seasonal with tag team and with the women. It's like for three months, we'll throw everything we have into this. And then after a while, we'll just throw the titles on whoever and we will make them a factor. So I'm like, I don't know if it's something to do with creative, but like, just get everyone more involved. I don't want to have the show to be fucking Strowman and Drew and Lashley, as great as they are. Yeah, for sure. Because you look at what they do, like that whole Alexa Bliss thing and the Fiend, that's going on way too long. Randy's on to the tag division with Riddle. So I don't know what, why they're still continuing that. Uh, what else are they doing? Oh, yeah, Bobby and Drew. That should have ended at WrestleMania. And then that paper, the triple threat, WrestleMania backlash, I should have been done with it. Bobby should have had another challenger, maybe even Damian Priest, do something fresh, but they're still going on with that. They're extending these feuds on too long. It's like they have no backup plan. They're just copy-pasting. And, man, I, I don't know what they're doing with zombies, uh, this goofy stuff. Had the Miz here. He tore his ACL fighting with a zombie in that match, in a lumberjack match. Angel Garza, you know what? This is another one that's uh, a little puzzling. You have a guy out here on Raw shoving roses up other guys' asses. What's going on here? Who's writing this stuff? Angel Garza's talented. This doesn't have to be a gimmick. This guy can be on to bigger, better things, but he's shoving flowers in other guys' asses. What it's, are they ama- doing? it's amazing how you can look back a year ago and you had Garza, Theory, and Andrade all on a team and now Andrade's gone. Garza's shoving roses up Drew Gulak's ass, and Theory is in NXT. So it's amazing how stuff can change in a year. Um, another reason why Raw has been pretty shitty is they haven't really given the, the veterans any love. And I know it's well into Jeff Hardy's career. It's well into Sheamus's career, but... Do you do you guys think maybe a Jeff Hardy like title match would maybe spark some more interest on Raw? Like if you had, I know it's not realistic, but would you rather have like a Jeff Hardy, you know, get a little bit of momentum face Bobby in a title match instead of going with Drew again, or would you just go with Drew versus Lashley inside the Hell in a Cell? Because we know when we saw Jeff versus Randy all those years ago in that Hell in a Cell, that was a pretty good match. So. I feel like with Hell in a Cell approaching, if you really wanted to switch it up, I know they're not, but if they really w- wanted to switch it up, I would probably do Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy versus Bobby in a Hell in a Cell match. We know Jeff likes to hurt himself. Just, just make it an absolute dominant performance from Lashley, and that's it. I, I, I mean, I would love that, just to have Jeff Hardy um, get another title match. Kind of like what they did with Rusev three years ago. Just throw him into a title match. It's out of nowhere. It's unexpected. And it can spark interest in the product. I think uh, 
with the role that Lashley's been on, they have to do a serious fucking job in building up Jeff Hardy if he was going to take on that big ass in the Hell in a Cell. <laughs> I don't I just I love Jeff. He's one of my all-time favorites going back fucking 20 years ago, but I don't think he brings anything to that situation. Yeah. That's uh, another interesting thing with Jeff, though. I want to. I hope they wait for fans, though, before they actually were to try this. But since they freeze this contract because of the injuries, or else he'd be a free agent and most likely in AEW right now with Matt. What about Jeff Hardy turning heel in WWE? Worked in Impact. He excelled at it. He was obviously at a different place in his life, but I think now in this new focus, if he turned heel. Think they would actually add something to the product. Now we're talking. Not to take on Lashley, but like that would definitely spice things up. Because I just feel like with Jeff, it's it's always the same thing. He's always fighting uphill, and it's it's always centered around his drug addiction, and they always do something in that vicinity. If he can turn heel and kind of flip the script again, like he did in Impact, like you just said, to have that under a WWE audience, they maybe some. A lot of them haven't seen it before. Who knows? I would love a heel Jeff Hardy at WWE. Would you Would you want to see Jeff Hardy like align with Alexa Bliss? <laughs> Imagine. It's kind of He's going to need creepy. a puppet though. What's his puppet's going to be? What's the name going to be? You got Lily. You got uh, Rambling Nero. Rabbit. <laughs> Nero's the puppet. <laughs> I'm down. Yeah, I want to see Ray turn heel too. While we're at it. That's another wow. guy. Just yeah, that's imagine. Not, that's not. That's not happening. I haven't seen Buddy Murphy on uh, TV anymore. I think uh, Ray Mysterio probably, you know, got his house in order. Good to see. Had a boy. <laughs> I know. I was gonna say. I, I thought Buddy was gonna get a push, and then all of a sudden, I, he's 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 MIA. I haven't seen him. So maybe he's a guy that could take on. Yeah. Never mind. He's not taking. He's on Robot Island. Actually. Yeah. He's, he's on Robot Island. He's not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck. Anyways, anything else you guys uh, want to talk about? We guys. Oh man, that was pretty it? good. It was a pretty, it was a pretty good episode today. All right, well, that's uh, episode one thirty one. Make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, and of course, check out all our other stuff on YouTube. And if you're scrolling down there on Spotify or Apple or Google, and look at past episodes, see the stuff we've said. So. Enjoy, and uh, we'll see you next week.